All right, let's let's talk about the genius that is uh, Portal. You recently play, played through Portal One. Did you play through Portal Two yet? So I played through Portal One. I got to the past. I think it was level fourteen or whatever the final level is, where you then mm -hmm. enter the sort of escape room. Yeah. And then I started escaping, mm -hmm. um, and I think I got halfway through the escape, and then I stopped and played Portal Two. Which, is, <laughs> which I don't, which isn't how you're supposed to do it. At least I don't think that's how they, they made it, build it to be played. But okay. um, <laughs> I feel like that's like uh, you know a record scratch. Let me tell you how I got into this part. Uh, Play through the whole uh, Portal Two was like a backstory, even though it's set after the first game, and then you finish Portal One. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you, what you're talking about, like, like, end, like when they're like the start of a film and shows yeah, the end exactly, of the film, yeah, exactly, exactly, mm -hmm. and then rewind through, yeah, yeah. So you're having so this that... epic escape, and you just completely, you know, interrupt whatever it is you're doing, <laughs> go off, just... do something else. Yeah, I mean, and this was completely something else because I was the reason we're doing Portal Two is to do two-player Portal. Ah, okay, okay. Um, with my brother, but the thing was, is uh, Portal Two, two-player assumed you kind of already played portal 2 yeah yeah uh -huh. single player uh -huh. so it was a it was like it was a quantum leap in terms of uh what what the hell was going on yeah mechanics level. and shit like that so that, that leads very nicely into the topic of like you know how do you test the difficulty of your puzzles right if if you're mm -hmm. the game designer and you're making um a puzzle game if you yourself play the puzzles very many times you're just gonna find the mechanics that you're using to be a second nature right and yeah. you have very first-hand experience of, of that, so uh, it's quite an interesting, I think, uh, phenomenon, right? You can have playtesters, but is it like, is it actually fresh playtesters play that you want each time? Um, yeah. How do you control for gaming experience, general gaming experience, right? There's a, a YouTube series that I saw recently that's called Gaming for Non-Gamers, that sort of explores the uh, assumptions that people who have played a lot of games make about games right? like your health bar is going to be green or red you should be moving uh, towards the right on a platformer etc etc right uh, oh that's interesting there's that's all really these things actually. that we've in, uh, internalized like, mm -hmm. that we don't even think about right but like for somebody who's not played video games they're just complete it's either a information overload or um, they just completely like ignore certain parts of the things I get I can do to the information overload thing yeah. so in this video in this this is a YouTube series so in yep. this series they talk through various examples or they get people to play games they that get, haven't played games before yeah they get uh, I, I've only seen a couple of videos and um, I think in both of them it was the guy's wife that he was having play a couple of games with the agreement that he doesn't give her any input whatsoever right so like she's stuck somewhere uh, running towards the wall for like 15 minutes, it's just like, you know, I, I'm not gonna tell you anything, right? Um, and there's some commentary, right? And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, after doing that for several hours, he synthesizes it down and sort of like points out common patterns in her behavior uh, and like sort of tries to explain why she, she had these thoughts, right? So, for example, something that happens quite a lot is um, you like mistake. Uh, Correlation for causation, right? Um, so, have you played the game Shovel Knight? I've played it a couple times. Yeah, so you I know how. I played through it, but I've played like a couple yeah, times. Yeah, so you know how in it, when you die, you drop your money 
and they float as bugs with wings around your corpse. Um, yeah. It happened once that sh- uh, she was playing the game, she ran into an enemy uh, as she was picking up the bag of coins, right? S- so she saw that she took damage but did not understand what caused her to take damage, right? Was it the bug or was it the enemy? Right? And then assumed right. for a very long time that uh, the bag of money actually uh, deals damage to you, right? <laughs> so that made you know the gaming experience much more difficult because she had to avoid you know that thing and uh, that's not like too wild a mechanic right because in the game hollow Knight, no, when you die you have like a shadow that is out to get you and tries to kill you yeah that's well that's really funny because the um y- yeah you sort of take the assumption that a floating bag of money is not um it's not, not like an enemy. yeah it's not negative it's not yeah that doesn't have sort of a neg it's not negative but like like because that's one thing about game development is you try to represent character or, or items or whatever especially like the game um the game feel of the item in a mm-hmm. way that gives it sort of the effect it does in the game yeah you know like yeah. uh uh like soft blue glows around items usually imply positive, mm-hmm. you know, and harsh red um, mm-hmm. effects usually imply like negative, dangerous things. But it's interesting that someone t- that that just goes completely past someone that they so never. So the question is: Is that a very natural thing to do, or are you applying uh-huh. video game logic in that? Right? Because like I agree with you hundred percent. When I see something very screamingly red, um, I'm gonna be like, "That's an enemy," you know, like. Um, I should be careful not to touch them, uh, but maybe maybe with the red thing, it's, it's quite natural because you know in in real life as well, right? So like red uh, tinged animals are like sometimes poisonous. You know, oranges is is a more poisonous thing, but like uh, red is like aggressive. You know, quite sort of uh, malevolent. Uh, yeah, I as, think it's like probably also it's. Red is the color of blood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe Rogue has a strong. Yeah, but why is it tinge. why is it that like a blue tinge annotates something good? Right? It's magical powers, things like that, but that's you know, quite like blue, it's it's a fantastic thing. We're probably yeah. getting quite into like 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 probably something like evolutionary psychology, but it's kinda of interesting, like maybe like the sky or water, blue. Could be. Yeah, um, no, right. as in like this is a very established thing, right? Like when you read Lord of the Rings uh, Frodo's sword uh, shines blue when there's orcs around, right? Like, this is a very established right. concept uh, within fantasy itself as well, but uh, it's not really an everyday thing, right? Like, yeah, it's very actually, it's very actually, this is uh, where, yeah, I wonder how could you're right about the fact that this kind of dribbles into science fiction, say, like Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. for example, and mm-hmm. other, um. I even want to say user interactions on like um, devices. I'm trying to think of some other examples where you see this that aren't just digital media. But um, it may—I I didn't actually think about this before. But it does. If if like stories and your interactions have been built around this, and there's exists like a subset of society that hasn't had this sort of interaction mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. hasn't been interacted with these materials since they've been growing up. It disadvantages them when uh, it's assumed that you've have this like understanding of interaction, even if it's just like playing games in, our, mm-hmm. in this uh, example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
would be interesting to know the history of like say for example you said it was this guy's wife right that was playing the games mm-hmm. so yeah is it I don't know is what does she have a background in I'd be interested in order histories. Yeah, I, I I don't know either. He doesn't really go into that, but uh, I, I think sort of like that opens the question of like going back to the puzzle games things. Right, like um, what is it fine for you to expect out of your player, right? Because I absolutely despise it when, uh, especially a puzzle game, does too much hand holding for you. Right, it's like uh, you see a giant red button in front of you, and you have like the very thinly veiled commentary in the background of like you know the generic ai character uh, leading you through like the set of trials going like uh, oh i definitely wouldn't hit that giant red button in front of you you know it's just like you feel belittled you know like it, it just makes you feel angry right but on the other hand right like for somebody who's never had these experiences before that could be quite beneficial right like they need to learn the language of gaming first to be able to to proceed forward with the game right Mm -hmm. so i wonder whether there's like a solution um that you know allows for everybody to enjoy the game maximally yeah exactly like whether there is a format that you know is suitable for everyone or if there's a way in which you can sort of grade your puzzles Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you're in a sense you can just change add things to puzzles or remove things from puzzles Mm -hmm. that you know, incorporate if you're a beginner and you've never seen, you ever interacted with it. Um, Because, like, I I was almost going to say before this that maybe the solution is as your game becomes closer to real world, the real world interaction, this becomes, okay, so say say your game is like a simulation of real life and then Mm -hmm. within this world you just build puzzles. You say, I gotta get to the, I gotta go past this door and you just have to interact with objects like it's real life and try and get past this door. Mm-hmm. And I was almost going to say, the closer you get to real life, the less you have this issue because everyone's interacting with real life. But I still feel within, I, I still feel, well actually now I, now I don't know what I think about this, but maybe you have a comment on this, but I still feel within this, there's going to always be some sort of game bias that has to be taught in terms of like, what the direction is in this simulation. Um, yeah yeah no I, I agree with you 100% there and um, again like just quoting this video uh, one way that like y- one thing that uh, game developers really need to tackle in such a situation is the constraints of the environment that they're putting you in right because when you're applying real uh, world logic you have infinitely many more options for actions you can take uh, rather than the like you know what the game environment can provide with example being um right. you know like uh, you're out you're in the middle of some city right and the game wants you to take a very particular uh route through that city right um and it blocks you off sometimes more successfully some with like you know debris and things like that sometimes less successfully with just invisible walls out in the middle of nowhere you know just very gamey things um and you know uh, sometimes uh, it sort of tries to incorporate those restrictions within the narrative of like you know like you take a wrong turn and then a car hits you right but the issue is yeah. if you're applying real world lo- logic right when you take the wrong turn and the car hits you 
your instant conclusion is probably going to be I need to run through there faster or I need to wait for the car to go by, right? So there's right, like a right, right. discrepancy between the actions you're taking and the game logic in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, s I, yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, I mean, in that situation, can you, in this example of navigation through city, is there a solution where you can... Because I think you've summarized it better than I did, which is there's some constraints the game is going to apply to this simulation. Mm -hmm. And those constraints have assumptions. And if those assumptions are not aligned with kind of what the player understands about those assumptions or what you're trying mm -hmm. to get, those assumptions are trying to drive the player towards you know whatever the goal of the game is, it's mm -hmm. going to be uh, it's going to be challenging for the player um, or confusing. But is there a set of like no there yeah I mean I guess there isn't there I mean we. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. Like, it's yeah, it's quite difficult. So, uh, one thing I quite like about games like Porto is that they play around that issue quite smartly, right? Um, you're a person stuck in a set of testing chambers, so you wouldn't expect if you find yourself in the real real world situation such as this, uh, you wouldn't expect to be able to escape those test test chambers, right? Like, you don't have like a drill on you to like bring down the walls or anything like that, right? You just mm. are going through these doors as you're sort of meant to do, right? Like, the, I guess the only extra thing you could do is, like, if you're stuck in a room for too long, you know, like, um, the environment somehow, you know, like, either belittles you or, like, tries to help you or something like that, right? Like, that, that's quite authentic as an experience. And then the first time you have the option to escape, that's actually incorporated into the game, right? Like, in the very rare occasions that you know, there's no physical barriers that try to stop you. That's actually part of the game. Whereas with a, you know, a game like, um, you know, something The Last of Us that uh, he was analyzing, right? They're trying to sort of trick you that you're in this huge sprawling city during a zombie invasion, right? But what the character takes as actions in that isn't necessarily what the player takes as actions, right? And that's, I guess, more of the issue with uh, narrative based games which are like more like interactive movies right is uh, the really nice thing about games i think is that uh, the player can you know insert their character into the playable character within the game right like the really mm. big difference is that in a movie you watch the the movie you may or may not relate with the main character but there's nothing you can do right like the the character just takes the actions that uh, they're meant to take in the script right Whereas in the game, um, the game's pushing that envelope, right? Like it's trying to allow you to be able to take actions that you yourself as a person would take, would take, mm -hmm. and then the game, sh you know, should handle the consequences appropriately. Right? And yeah. at, at the end of the day, it's it's still an illusion because you know um, it's only in D and D that you can do whatever it is you want to do, right? Like it's only in um, ima imagination that you're completely. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, like subject to what you can, what you can imagine. Yeah, that's that's um, yeah, that's actually an interesting point. Yeah, movies are essentially writing the, co-piloting co the narrative somewhere else, and games are. In a way, I, there's going to be some kind of interesting kind of gradient between mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. and then you know all the way on one side it's just a simulation, 
where you can just drop your, which I guess D&D, you can just drop yourself into mm-hmm. whatever world you're, um, uh, you want to. But there's actually something you said quite, that I want to touch on just before when you were talking about Portal that I was thinking about. Because I was thinking that maybe the solution to this issue of, um, uh, you know, um, sort of desyncing with your understanding of, of what the game expects you to know um, was, you know, a perfect simulation because we all live in the real world. But, you know, there's going to be some constraints that make this an issue. But maybe it's actually the inverse. And, you know, say, take Portal, for example. You start in... Your first room you start in is a pretty bland white... Okay, okay. Say you strip away all the um, objects you interact with. Mm-hmm. The first room you start in is just a pretty bland white room, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you have to assume the player knows how to control themselves and, and move around the, this room. Mm-hmm. So that's like a small assumption. But if they can get past that aspect of it, you're sort of, like to use a better term, you're birthing them into a kind of a simulation where they are give, you're going to gradually guide them into how they navigate this sort of new world. Mm-hmm. And there's, mm-hmm. there's almost, they're forced to sort of gain an understanding of this world um, to navigate it. And it doesn't matter what, what their previous experience was with uh, with. I see what you games. mean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the room is so simplified and you just have to go through the first door that there's nothing they can do other than do that, right? Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that it's very difficult for someone to mess. I don't know, but maybe I'm already going with my assumptions here, but it's very difficult for someone to mess that up. And if, you, if you're smart about how you define your level progression system, you could actually build someone's, I want to say almost build someone's understanding and vocabulary of this world as they go along, almost like teaching a child, mm-hmm. so that they're almost comfortable being in this world before you then drop them into more difficult yeah. situations. I like that analogy a lot. It is you are building a, especially talking about puzzle games in particular, right? Because like you know various uh, different types of games. Uh, Tetris, for example, is an incredibly easy game to uh, pick up, but very difficult to master, right? Like um, the mechanics of it are immediately apparent to you after five minutes of play, right? And there's no further, you know, like um, depth to the controls than what you pick up initially, right? Um, but it's a very interesting example you gave of like going through the first door. Again, like relating to this video, uh, it seems to have really made an impression on me because I keep, uh, you know, uh, talking about it. Um, so when the game portal starts, you're given a prompt on the screen on how to move your character with a keyboard, right? So, you know, W forward, A left, et cetera, et cetera. But you're not told anything about the mouse, right? So this person, uh, the wife of the creator of that video, started using the keyboard and navigating the world, but only facing in the same direction, right? Like they weren't aware that they can use the mouse to rotate the camera, right? They actually managed to get quite a you like quite a lot further than I would have expected. I would have expected the person to, you know, really struggle to get through the first door because I'm not even sure how you navigate <laughs> that. Like, yeah, <laughs> but they actually managed to get through the door. I think maybe managed to get to, through a couple of chambers. So before it makes me feel claustrophobic. Yeah, right. No, it's it just like f- yeah, exactly. It's, it feels like you're on rails or something, right? Like you just don't uh-huh. have that freedom. Um, so. 
yeah i uh, like this analogy of the of the curriculum right uh, an incredibly good puzzle game is going to be one that allows you to feel like you're learning a lot a lot at each point right like um so for example uh the game bob is you does that incredibly well I, f I feel like for the first half of the game um at each level you're either introduced to a new concept or a variation of the previous concept and it's your um like building your no it's the building of your knowledge that leads to um you know you making that progress so it feels very very good it's a very good puzzle game in that sense uh contrast that with the latter half of the game where like the rules start to become quite um difficult to understand right like mm. um that could be you know uh, it, it could be argued that you know the game then becomes for very intelligent people and it's only like the very intelligent that enjoy the game but i, I think that's that's a, a minus for the game right? like i think it should be accessible for everyone um yeah i do think by the time you've got to that difficult point and bob is you i think it doesn't depend on i don't think it really depends on necessarily your background in other games because you've gone mm -hmm. through the bob is you training experience mm -hmm. or the curriculum so at this point, it's just what's your level of commitment to wanting to try and yeah. solve this puzzle, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Which is kind of puts, I, I want to say puts everyone on the same playing field and then just those that are interested in pushing this further. So probably, okay, maybe it does cater more towards people that have played some games before because they might have sort of, um, I want to say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like almost a... a a robustness to make a rigor to the technique yeah well more, i want to say something more like you know usually if you haven't played a game if you haven't played games before you start experiencing a lot of failure mm -hmm. and frustration you're going to quit early right ah your your favorite word tenacity that you very much like Ten you really. need to be very tenacious yeah yeah yeah. there you go yeah exactly yeah tenacity you and i, I don't know maybe playing a lot of games uh you, you yeah Something kind of builds that mm -hmm. in there. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe it was a good example. I'm t I can't even remember what the first. Yeah, I remember the first level being very simple. Um, but I do remember introducing it to some people that did not play games and they really enjoyed Bobby as you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, th I think that's um, uh, one good example. But I, there is one thing I wanted to. That actually I remembered um, about portal which was interesting um portal is going to be like a threat to this whole thing mm -hmm. um but was that jumping all the way back to playtesting um at one point during the playtesting of portal they had serious issues with um people not being able to solve the puzzles early on and starting to use um other items in the environment so portal to original sorry portal hadn't originally been designed so that it was a series of like uh tests a series of test chambers in which you then escape mm -hmm. and um battle the, and you're no longer in the test chamber originally it'd been sort of a open not open world but a sort of world that is closer to just say walking around um, your house mm -hmm. where there's 
random items thrown around and it's got more i don't know what the actual theme of the game was but there wasn't this sort of cha test chamber layout mm -hmm. um but they had a, a huge issue with people uh assuming items that they saw were part of the game. part of the puzzle yeah mm -hmm. that they were trying to solve and they couldn't get people to ignore these items mm -hmm. and have them um and and have them try to solve the puzzle directly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so then they came up with the idea to just essentially set these up as test chamber. The test chamber theme tied in well with just stripping all this content out. With I guess that is interesting because then you then decided, okay, let's see if we can get the, the... The the cool thing is, is then if you look at Portal 2 and you go through that campaign, this is the ex this actually doesn't exist anymore. Like, Portal 2 is a sprawling mess. Yeah. But they really managed... This is what I was actually taken aback by now. She was trying to figure out exactly how they did it because they did it so well was it do you think that the fact that it's a sequel helps them quite a lot because you would expect the player to have played the, the first one already yeah so that yeah that's part of it um but the one thing is is in the beginning even without a portal gun like mm -hmm. when you don't even have a portal gun you're just doing sort of a navigation game mm -hmm. and i don't I got I got to remember, but I don't think there's any sort of obvious cues or um, I want to say like shared. When I say obvious cues, like shared sort of pointers or directional points that actually m make you think, oh, I got to go down this path, or this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Portal Two, when you're navigating, there's nothing you can do other than go down the path you're supposed to, but it feels like you're exploring. Mm -hmm. uh, exploring the debris. I think once you get into the fact that you've collected the portal gun and you're, um, and you see these buttons and rooms and doors, at that point, yeah, the 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 vocabulary of portal mm -hmm. helps. Mm -hmm. But um, but you in the initial sort of section, you you're saying uh, you feel like you you are unconstrained in your exploration, uh, whereas you're taking a very linear uh, path. Is, is that yeah. what you're saying? That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that's incredibly masterful game design. Uh, it's, I mean, it's incredible game design. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that being done in very few games, I feel like. Um, did you uh, play I through Outer Wilds? I, I, you and I played a little bit, actually. I played okay. through not, not very much. Um, I did about two hours of gameplay. Okay. Uh, so we can constrain the, the, the conversation on those two hours, but before that, I think you were uh, saying something related to Porto. Uh, no, I, no, go ahead with your other Okay, walls. okay, all right. Um, so that game is absolutely amazing because um, I think they set out to address this exact issue of like feeling like you're constrained, right? In Outer Wilds, everything that you can do, you can do from the start. Right, it's only your knowledge of the world that grows as you as you play through the game. Right, so okay. slight spoiler for the game for you know anybody who hasn't played it is that you, uh, you get have like a, sorry do we have like a spoilers alert sound effect? Like um, fire alarm. You you like can make it on the spot. It's it's not going okay. to be like a dashboard. You just go. Oh, I have to. Make yeah, it. you have to make okay. it on the spot. 
That's okay. actually, I think that's pretty good. I think uh, people have been warned for the spoiler uh, quite quite sufficiently here. Right? It's a very minor spoiler, <laughs> right? It's like um, you get to replay through your adventure Groundhog Day, right? Like you're meant to uh, be in the same scenario over and over again, and through your different actions in that scenario, you gain knowledge of the world, and uh, you actually understand what it is, like the, the big mystery of the game. Um, and that I think is fantastic, right? Uh, sort of, it is quite reflective, I feel like, of the real world, right? Where at any one point, if you had the perfect knowledge of what it is you want to do, you could set out and achieve it very likely, right? It's just that you don't have the knowledge to do so, and the mechanic of being able to replay the same scenario over and over again uh, allows you to um, sort of have the perfect you know, experience within that scenario, right? Uh, but, the, but the thing that, that really strikes me there is that they crafted this, you know, world, this solar system that in, in which you're, you're uh, living this scenario, such that there's no arbitrary walls, right? Like you, you have a spaceship at your disposal, you can jump into a spaceship and go into any point uh, in the world uh, that will be of interest of you throughout the game, right? Contrast that to more conventional games where like, you know, um, in GTA 4, there's like an arbitrary bridge that you can't cross until you've completed the mission or something like that. Like, that's incredibly mm -hmm. unsatisfying. As, you know, in, in the real world, like, um, you'd just be able to cross the bridge, right? Like, there's nothing for you to do there, and it's good game design to disallow the person to cross the bridge, right? Because if you just end up in a random place in the city for you with nothing to you, for you to do there, as it re like regarding to the story, that would be a very bad um, experience for the player. But it's incredibly unsatisfying, so right. Right. When you say like um, the only limits of your not being able, the only limit of you not being able to finish our wilds is your lack of knowledge. Could you? Can you give like an example? Like for example, is it the fact I'm missing a code to a door, and to get this code, I got to go somewhere else? Because if that, if no, that's the case, so that would be unsatisfying. That's that's item collection. So is it sort of my my lack of what what is the knowledge? Like is it how does it differentiate from say sort of progressive item collection? Yeah, so that's incredibly uh, that's an incredibly good question, and that's I think the genius of the game is. Um, as you said, like if it's just uh, you know three doors, and on my first playthrough I go to planet one, I collect the code from there, I come back and I uh, you know now have access to the the first door. On my second playthrough I go to planet two or something like that. Um, you know that that would be quite unsatisfying because you're you're collecting items. It's just that those items you're collecting are just like information, you know, and you retain the information, but you lose the physical carrier of the information through your playthroughs, right? Yeah. Um, here they've managed to intertwine the story with, you know, informational bits that you need uh, quite well, right? So uh, I guess without any spoilers, a very good way to, to explain what the fuck is that's happening is like you're going through the world and you happen upon a structure, right? Like some mechanism, right? You have no clue what that mechanism is. It has a lot of moving parts. Um, you can perhaps in infer some of it uh, based on the knowledge you have so far, 
but it's only through attaining more knowledge about the world you're in that you can actually decipher what it is it's doing right and okay. if that mechanism helps you on your journey somehow right it's a prerequisite uh, for you to understand how it works to be able to to progress along the journey right um there is um one or f or two item collections that you have to do in order to be able to finish the game and i agree with you that's somewhat sat uh, less satisfying but mm. for the most part it's just like knowledge I, I would i would equate it to knowledge about like ancient technology right you happen upon yeah. ancient technology ruins and you know in theory if you knew how to operate them you, you you could do a lot of shit it's just that you don't know how to operate them right right yeah okay so I'm, yeah because i'm trying to draw the line between you know if you generalize this you happen upon ancient technology or some kind of mechanic and you haven't been told how to operate it so you mm -hmm. can't operate it but the equivalent is someone gives you a key to just enable the operation of it mm -hmm. but the difference is the fact that this could be operated beforehand but um yeah but you just it's so, it, I guess it's the idea that this can be operated beforehand. Is the yeah. idea that this could function beforehand, mm -hmm. but it's going to be next to. I mean, does anyone ever complete Outer Wilds by just trying to operate these? So, yeah, the, the games are done sufficiently well such that uh, you can't stumble upon the solution, right? It's a requirement for you to have certain experiences and learn certain facts for you to be, you know, able to finish the game. But it's made such that you never feel. Um, betrayed right uh, so when i played the game right uh on one or two places i was actually unsure what to do next so i had to look up you know like steps right and right after reading those steps in that respect i was like okay i should have been able to figure that out it was on me that i didn't manage to figure it out it wasn't on the game designers for coming up with some bullshit explanation right um okay. so no like the there are things that it's incredibly likely for you to, um, uh, you know, uh, do just on your own. Just like it's incredibly likely for you to balance a pole on your hand if, you know, you, it's 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 not something that you're trying to do, right? Like, if it happens to right. be that you know you need to balance a pole on your hand for five seconds for you to progress through the story, it's very unlikely for you to just do it randomly, right? You need to have the incentive to balance that pole on your hand, right? It's like right. I'm just wondering here if, like, the form of gatekeeping mm -hmm. is the complexity of the item, the complexity of whatever you're trying to get past, the complexity of the gate, rather than the fact that the gate is a physical boundary. Like, say, the GTA bridge mm -hmm. scenario, right? Just put an invisible wall, you can't cross that bridge, right? There's mm -hmm. no, there's not, there's no hope in hell. But, um, try and operate this alien technology you could operate it but the complexity and the time required to do that is going to take you hours and so that in itself is an invisible wall and you got to still do the item collection yeah 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 so it, it is it is right. i agree with you but it's it's a much more natural wall, right it's a wall that we experience in everyday life right yeah, in, yeah i agree with that yeah, yeah totally. in everyday life it's very rare for me to not be able to access an entire part of the city right like if it's a single <laughs> gate with a bodyguard that's somewhat believable right although like then you sort of start thinking oh you know like in hitman i can dress as like a, a catering so like 
service worker or something like that and sneak past that right why is it that i can't do it in this game uh mm-hmm. whereas with like informational things it, it's it's just you know you don't know how to do it so you don't do it right mm-hmm. and it's incredibly cool i think to, to know that you would have been able to do it from the start if you just had known how to do it oh that is yeah that is very cool actually yeah i i i, I get what you mean now it's a lot it's very more it's more natural um the one thing is is the one thing i'm just wondering is replayability is impossible right uh in that sense yes in that setting i mean I uh, it's, it's not that it's impossible because i feel like you do forget quite a lot i mean at least i'm i'm blessed with you know no perfect regulation of events so a couple of years pass and then i can replay a game and you know get the same enjoyment of it right right uh, but if you assume you just have perfect regulation about all things all the things yes if you just pick up the game again you will know what it is that you need to do right but um that also becomes like an exercise in you know uh what is your motivation of playing the game right like if there's no high score to attain in that it's not an arcade game it's an experience right and um sort of it's only the ones you'll be able to have the wow moments of encountering something for the first time and understanding it because the game is about you know acquiring information and having understanding about things um it's unlikely for you to forget a hundred percent of of the things that you've you know learned about the game but when a couple of years pass i feel like you can you can uh replay it uh and Mm. attains you know some to uh, that same uh pleasure to to some degree mm. yeah that's uh i actually kind of thought about game design in that sense before is information as the everything is accessible bar the information information is sort of the bottom the, the, mm-hmm. the limitation that the key that allows you to continue it definitely gives you more of the illusion of control in the game or the illusion of you know agency a lot more agency mm-hmm. um that there there it, it almost isn't a game it sort of builds better into the closer simulation aspect of things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like uh, i think the similar aspect of happens of breath of the wild is you can actually jump straight to the end if you yeah. want you can mm-hmm. pl- fight the end boss mm-hmm. borrow initial tutorial intro you can jump straight to the end mm-hmm. boss um and your skill as a Player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a that's a great analogy. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, Breath of the Wild is probably also something that a lot more people have played. That is what I'm st- talking about, right? Um, if you have sixty hours spent in Breath of the Wild, it's entirely plausible for you to, you know, run towards uh, the end game castle and fight the end game boss, right? Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. I think that's an incredibly good design decision. Uh, because that's very often, you know, how the real world works, also, right? Like you could argue for uh, Zelda, there's you know some semblance of like a physical uh, power that you gain through your, um, you know, time, like your journey, like preparing to fight the big bad, uh, which is not reflected in Breath of the Wild. But uh, you know, I I feel like it's 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 a pretty good. Um, like it gets you ninety percent of the day of, of the way there to say, okay, well it's actually the items that you own that mm-hmm. determine the power that you have, right? And given that you have the ability to fight very strong enemies that you know will give you those items, uh, just to to, to uh, sort of technical capability in the way you control your character, that's entirely reasonable, right? That's sort of mm-hmm. like uh, 
Yeah, it it, it it bleeds the game actually into the back into yeah. the real world more. Mm-hmm. Y- mm-hmm. Y- your continuation in the real world yeah. is the reason you're good at the game, mm-hmm. which it, is actually I didn't think about that before. That's pretty cool. It makes you relate to Link a lot more, right? like in the sense you are Link in that setting because his mm-hmm. journey is only limited by your by your capabilities. Right? Yeah, exactly. Whereas wow. if you need like a arbitrary key from you know the wardrobe in whoever's bedroom uh that feels less satisfying right or if the character doesn't have a piece of knowledge that you already possess that's quite annoying mm-hmm. and then in that in that sense is there's an it is i mean and then now in, you know what happens in the real world can now bleed back into the game so for example you talk to friends and mm-hmm. inter social interaction can actually, um, well, maybe it happen in a normal game because they can tell you where item drops are. But I was going to think that maybe there's some cool, cool, interesting mechanic here where you you're talking to people and you learn information from them, mm-hmm. and that helps you sort of um, advance quicker. Yeah, or and that, that sort of gets into the speed running uh, thing, like genre of things, right? Like I definitely see an increase in the amount of people that speed run. Speed running is becoming more and more of a thing. I think we've even talked about it on the podcast before. Uh, that's definitely like uh, a part of speedrunning is exactly the social interaction of things. It's like you're constantly trying to find strategies of how to beat the game faster. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, cross collaboration amongst people. Cause like you can have your strategy at the moment, but somebody else comes up with a better strategy and they share mm. it. And, uh, you know, now you're playing the game in, in a more optimized and perhaps more satisfying way if that's what you're uh, going for uh, mm-hmm. so yeah i agree with you 100 percent. and uh, it's not even at the level of like you're just speaking with friends right it's like a global event right it's, it's, it's sort of like you're fighting against the simulation that the game creators have built right like speedrunning yeah. is sort of like rebelling against the constraints of the game and trying to squeeze it out for every single bit that uh, you can yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. I'm actually almost wondering. I almost kind of this isn't related to speedrunning, but just I'm almost wondering if there exists such a game where you have some open world simulation, stake like Breath of the Wild, um, with the you know what we talked about, but each player, you know, when you start the game, you're given like a random set of information that you only you can find out about that game, mm-hmm. and through cross-collaboration, you get other information from other people that lets you solve puzzles. You're all solving puzzles in the same world. Everyone's mm-hmm. world's exactly the same, but it's just the information you can access from your your variation of the game mm-hmm. is limited. And by cross-collaboration, you get other information from other people that allows you to solve puzzles. So mm-hmm. it's everyone sort of collaboratively has to self-organize to solve like a a much larger game it's kind of interesting idea. yeah i think i think that sounds incredibly fun as a mechanic i haven't seen it in a game but uh, if a game did it well i think it would be a smash success yeah yeah that would be uh i'm trying to think of anyone's kind of where you have to share information but i guess the one the, the one issue is you still want a playable game outside of that as well mm-hmm. it, it really depends like because there are games that require social interaction so uh, there's one there's one sort of board game like this uh, it's sort of like uh, is it 
Clu Cluedo Mystery Mode or something like that. Uh, so I'm not talking about like the board game versions of this. This uh, there's one that's uh, and done entirely through talking, right? Everybody <coughs> gets assigned a character that has some information, right? There's a murderer, you know, and people need to learn who killed whom, uh, with what, only through talking to each other, right? So like, uh, for example, I'm a doctor, uh, and I know that, uh, you know, like, this is this stab wound is indicative of like a kitchen knife or something, uh, but I also have my own incentives of like, maybe I don't want people to know about my my affair with like, I don't know, like the the murdered person's wife, right? So I have incense, in, an incentive to withhold information. Mm -hmm. um, and that's incredibly fun, I agree. Uh, but it's also, again, like it's, it's the D&D-ness of it, like the, the complete un, unconstrained, like you're not constrained in your conversations, right? Like you can give as much information as you want or, or withhold as much information as you want. So putting mm -hmm. that into a game, I think it's is quite difficult, although you know, if done well, would be would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no, there's definitely that scene. Yeah, that would be very that would be very interesting. I didn't think, yeah, Cluedo is a good example. Um, yeah, it is the age of open world game. Yeah, and uh, open world, I feel like, you know, has been the term open world has been quite narrow down from what its original meaning i think was meant to be uh by you know games offering open open world potential uh which means that you know rather than having a linear story being able to maybe do things out out of sequence but actually the main storyline is still in sequence you're just allowed to partake in side missions uh you know not in in a particular sequence uh whereas like open world i feel like as a concept is a much broader thing of like you're allowed to take any action you want and the world around you shapes itself uh, yeah. by that action yeah this it, this kind of era of games really i mean like really excites me maybe i you know case one is minecraft and you know all mm -hmm. games similar to that before it minecraft being like the you know the trophy of them mm -hmm. but just you just like see and I don't think Minecraft's even like a very enjoyable one anymore. We've talked about it before, but like this Breath of the Wild is sort of the the reason why I like Breath of the Wild a bit more is because you actually they put sort of two layers in here. Um, one layer was open world uh, freedom of action, as you described, which is uh, which is already impressive. But on top of that, they put um, emergent gameplay via physics. And mm -hmm. so, you know, mm -hmm. both of these feeding back on themselves make for a, a world that shapes, like, in extremely complex ways, individually to you, and um, it seems like no person can have the same gameplay experience. Yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with uh, your point on physical interactions, right? Like, we've talked about uh, before, uh, you know, one of my favorite examples of, of soft interaction systems being Noita, right? Like the chemical interactions in, in Noita. Uh, yeah, but I agree with you. Yeah, that's a really good example. Yeah, it's like when you set up your situation, when you give tools to the players, right, rather than giving them solutions, it makes for a much more personalized experience, right? Um, mm -hmm. Now, it's very difficult and it goes all the way back to the beginning of this talk of like, how the hell do you play test this thing, right? 
you're <laughs> meant to give them almost free, you know, unrestrained access to these tools, how do you test for each edge case scenario? Right? And we see that in Breath of the Wild, there's a ton of bugs, right? They make the yeah. game perhaps more fun, but they're very far from being realistic. Right? You can yeah. launch yourself like at 500 miles into the sky if you pause the game as you're landing with your shield on an emir or some shit like that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, uh, yeah, no, I think it was like, I think it's like if you freeze time and you're cutting or something, they mm -hmm. don't, they don't account for the fact you've frozen time while you're applying a force, so you unfreeze and the force is like... Oh, and you just launch the object there. I feel like that may have actually been one of, like, as in, you know, freezing an object and giving it force, I think yeah. was intended, but maybe right. it's like, yeah, it I think if, if you if you spin around, right, like it just registers too many hits, right? So rather than right. being able to do five hits while the uh, item is frozen and it, lo it launches with, you know, like 50 miles, it registers like 500 hits and then it launches with 500 miles, which completely breaks yeah. everything. <laughs> which is, yeah, which is... It's which, very fun. Yeah, it's part yeah. of the appeal. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. The, and, and likewise in Noita, you have these chain reactions that just become completely chaotic. Like, yeah. it, like you've got this regime of, you know, um, uh, kind of convergent dynamics. I'd say like um, dynamics that sort of will um, converge to a fixed point. Mm -hmm. You have kind of, uh, God, I'm losing the term for it now, um, stable, what are those? Oh gosh, so uh, what I, stable I, you know, yeah, like I think, the I think, Lorenz system or something. Yeah, I think, yeah. oh, uh, tractors, like a tractor. Yeah, a tractor system, system yeah. where you've got these very complex dynamics that are stable, mm -hmm. and then you just have chaos. And you know, yeah. a game can hit the sweet spot where you've got sort of attractors, but mm -hmm. every now and then it jumps out. If you hit the, the it's gotta be, you know, you hit these chaotic, chaotic regimes and things go crazy, but your ideal gameplay is probably within these sort of attractor scenarios mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because dynamics that just settle to fixed points are just uninteresting and just never won't sort of ever originate in any like novel gameplay. Mm -hmm. So actually, um, like your analogy incredibly much. Uh, I've, I've been thinking about dynamical systems recently, so maybe, you know, it's a recency bias thing, but I really like the idea of like, um, rather than thinking about, uh, you know, structuring the trajectory such that I go from A to B to C to D, it's like, I want to go from A to B, but, you know, as long as I end up in B, I'm allowed to just take any any different path, right? And then as long as I share B is, you know, like an attractor or like a convergent point, right? Mm -hmm. I can allow the player to, you know, launch themselves with any, you know, with a force in any direction. Because I know, like, you know, their trajectory is going to be wildly different from other people's trajectories, but they're still going to end up where I want them to be at the end. Right. right exactly yeah and that's yeah i i i think that's very underexplored as as a concept um i feel like it's, it's been yeah it's been explored in sort of exactly physical systems right like there's puzzle games with physical systems that become a bit chaotic but i feel like you can probably do that in a sense with more narrative heavy experiences Right, yeah. Yeah, physics seems to be the natural and probably easiest way I've seen it because of the fact that it ties in with the actual dynamical systems yeah. concept mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. But um, 
usually, yeah, I mean, it's going to come down to having some kind of network of interactions, a network of relationships, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and these relationships affect each other. At one point, you get, like, just like, almost like the analogy of a chemical reaction, but just of a generic, like, just graph of interactions. And, like, doing the narrative system would be, yeah, it's going, yeah, you could, yeah. You mean the narrative system like uh, as like a dialogue-driven story? Um, yeah, yeah, it's just having like, some some story, right? And like, um, it's probably much more difficult to sort of set up such a system, right? Because um, I guess the equivalent of like, you know, analyzing the vector field for the dynamical system in like the narrative direction is like ensuring that the player will bump into the right character such that they get the correct sets of information right and that's um we have a, l- a lot less toolery to do that right like we have for analyzing analyzing like physical dynamical systems we have a lot of science that allows us to do that not very uh i mean not uh, i wouldn't say not very difficultly but like we can do it rigorously right whereas like with like narrative pieces of information one it's it's a discrete you know scenario rather than like a continuous scenario and that makes the analysis different and uh, two we don't really have the toolery to ensure this right like uh, you would have to develop the system from scratch right? like i have these pieces of information that i want to relate to the, this character who are the characters and how do i position them in the world such that my mm. my character will bump into them to to relate that information yeah yeah exactly you have not in terms of um, the full narrative, like character interaction NPCs, but I'm just thinking of AI dungeon here, and it's quite interesting if someone's ever sort of worked on it. in your in your setup where you said you have set you have point A and point B, and you mm-hmm. sort of just want the dynamics that you end up in point B, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really end up matter how you get there, and so if someone's ever worked on like such a system where you can have be having a dialogue. But the dialogue, the dynamics of the dialogue are always driving you towards point B. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's not a forced drive. Like look at the chatbots that we have now. Like they're very sort of discreet and sort of just cutting you, keeping you along a path. Like there's mm-hmm. like a set number of paths mm-hmm. and they just keep mm-hmm. you along those paths. So it's not. I almost would say it's not like a continuous space where like you could end, you could be over here and they're gonna just. Get you towards point B. Yeah, it's, even it's if not you started talking exactly. About you're not ge- being guided. You're not being guided into the direction. You're sort of being projected back onto the main path, right? Like uh, you sort of uh, say. Uh, I mean, first of all, it's very often the case that you're only presented with four possible options for dialogue, right? There's no like free from dialogue. Uh, yeah. But you, when you go to the wildest sort of like option there, uh, you either get like a game over scenario and you get you get to repeat the thing or you go there, the person sort of like addresses uh, that and, you know, it it requires a lot of craftsmanship to be able to, you know, sort of steer the dialogue back uh, into into the direction that you want. It's very often the case of them like, you know, making a one sentence thing and then just completely changing the topic and going back to the main route, right? And that can feel yeah, very exactly. unsatisfying, right? Because like, mm-hmm. it's like if we're talking, you and I are talking right now uh, about this thing and then, you know, you, you just start talking about uh, uh, portal out of, out of the blue again, right? Right, yeah. No, your, your projection is exactly what it is. You're projecting them back on the trajectory. Like, you've got eight trajectories, you're projecting them back on the nearest mm-hmm. trajectory, mm-hmm. right? Um, and 
it actually would be really fascinating. Like if you could say like, you're in a chatbot room and you start saying, I'm just, I'm eating cabbage right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, then they're like, oh, well, like, you know, what type of cabbage are you eating? And then, you know, it tell, and then they start talking about grocery stores and then they mm-hmm. start talking about like capitalism and then they get back to, you know, finances. And then there you go. They've got you back on the thread mm-hmm. of what's mm-hmm. your, uh, do you want like 20% APR or 30 mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like, you know, that would be... <laughs> That would be uh, quite fun yes. as a game with my guy. It would be incredibly disturbing as a <laughs> general too, though, right? Because like uh, right. anybody with any sort of uh, agenda or mind can just abuse the shit out of that. Could just yeah, they, they the can dynamics just, you know, of like yeah. I can imagine that be quite annoying, <laughs> right? Because like you you go on Reddit and you talk about bicycles and you sometimes end up in a chain thread that talks about you know uh, uh, Bitcoin or whatever shit, right? Yeah. And then you go. And uh, uh, I don't know, like, uh, what, what's another interactive system? Like, you go on Omega or something like that, right? And you, you speak to this person in quotes, right? Because, like, you know, assuming this is like an automated system, you start talking about football, and then suddenly you're talking about Bitcoin again. Like, it's uh-huh. getting bombarded by that shit. Oh, Omega. yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's, it's actually a that would be quite a dangerous tool, quite a powerful tool. Because you can gradually. Just tier, because yeah. because mm-hmm. it, it actually really good for advertisement agencies. Because instead of talking about the objects you're trying, because instead of saying Coca Cola, Coca Cola, mm-hmm. Coca Cola, uh, actually we're gonna have to cut what I just said there because I don't want to endorse Coca Cola oh, in this yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, then what you do is you start talking about their favorite hobby, skateboarding, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you weave them onto the path of. Uh, Ex-product. Yeah, it's like, oh man, whenever I'm thirsty from uh, skateboarding, <laughs> there's only one drink that can satisfy yeah. my <laughs> need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh wow, that's... Uh... And when you translate that into politics, it's even scarier, right? Like, um, we already have just awful, awful shit happening because of, you know, Facebook allowing targeted advertising. This is like three steps down the line, right? Of Like, it's not targeted it's like it's both subliminal and i mean it is targeted but like it's not only targeted it's also subliminal and mm. uh it's also like word of mouth and the way you protect yourself against word of mouth uh, advertising is you either stop believing in everything everybody tells you and you go completely insane um or you just accept it right like when you're mate or like you know somebody you feel like you have a connection to um recommend something to you you're much 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 more likely to to follow their advice right yeah exactly yeah cool all right i think that was quite a good conversation shall we wrap it up yeah i think we should i think we've covered everything from portal to uh, advertisement so yep we, uh, we did 